Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. has a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual. Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer status report. From this time forward, you will service us. Our priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? Bites. Into. It. Make it so. Thanks to Kate Kingsmore for the last three hours of The Distant Sky. Uh, and a reminder that she'll be back next week, uh, probably on a Wednesday, probably between 4 and 7. Um, make a note, stick it on the fridge. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk uh, tech, the internet, games, privacy, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, space, um, we claim space uh, on the Triple R grid. Um, tonight on the show, uh, we're joined in the studio by John Payne, uh, who, amongst other things, is a board member at Electronic Frontiers Australia. And it was recently uh, Data Privacy or Data, Data Protection Day um, globally, so we're going to have a, a bit of a chat uh, on that one. And we're also having a talk to Ron Curry, who's the CEO of uh, IGEA on the Australian Interactive Games Fund. Um, someone somewhere has found some money again uh, for games, which is always a good thing. But uh, before those things, we do have uh, a bit of news and other stuff that is going on uh, around the world. And Ro, who is joining me uh, in the studio tonight, has been uh, keeping an eye on uh, dating apps and, and what's been going on there. Oh, so much has been going on. It's still very early days, but the big hot headline is, is that in Australia, if you're flipping open the old Tinder, all that kind of stuff, um, dating apps are going to have to share information about threatening behaviour. And this has come from Australia's eSafety watchdog. So um, basically, there's a huge rise in online abuse. I think anyone who's been on any of these dating apps know what it can be like uh, on theirs. I tend to sort of open up Tinder within about 15 minutes recoil in absolute horror and just delete the whole thing all over again. Um, but essentially the piece of news is um, that uh, the eSafety um, commissioner is now saying that um, they're basically putting together the framework, so nothing has quite happened yet, but that... Um, legal notices might be issued to these online dating services compelling them to report on how they're responding to violence and threats. So um, it's it's a little bit of a sign of things mean business, but there's still a lot of questions around there. But it's 
it's really good in the sense that um, three quarters of Australian adults have, of course, had at least one negative online experience in the last year. Um, and, you know, they're a bit of a viper pit. And I think it's probably um, a small selection of bad actors ruining it for absolutely everyone on the dating apps. Um, but it just depends on how far this is going to go. Um, will yeah. it be criminal charges for people who are trolling or threatening or just being relentlessly horrible? Or is it going to be a little bit of a now, now? naughty dating app you you need to be reporting stuff to who to you know what are the penalties going to be how's it going to look it's it's interesting i think um i i don't i don't know about the bad apples thing i think um it also depends on kind of what you consider um uh, online abuse um so like heaps of um uh people identifying uh, as female are receiving um, uh, images and and overtures and all kinds of things mm-hmm. um, and and um, you know uh, n- not just women but um, uh, all genders are, are, um, are victims to this. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. There's there's out and out abuse. There's stuff that becomes abuse, or you you kind of think back and go, oh, actually, I didn't want that, and I didn't like that. Um, and there, um, it's 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 everywhere. So. Um, I'm not sure uh, a commission like the um, e-safety commissioner is going to do a great job of tackling it straight away. I think somebody has to make a go of it. Um, but I, I actually think the apps and services should be doing a better job of, of um, placing this stuff themselves because they've got all the data to kind of serve up you know, matches and things that we'd like to be doing and stuff like that. They can see what's being sent around. Um, oh, it should ab- be pretty easy to block this stuff. Absolutely, that's um, that is one of the things that the eSafety Commissioner wants them to look at, particularly the the scamming, spamming ones where there's multiple mm. accounts being set up from the same IP addresses, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but you're dead right, Warren, that it it really does come down to the individual, um, you know, apps and companies. And, you know, how much power do we have here in Australia versus, you know, an app that's hosted overseas, Mm. you know, external international jurisdictions? I will say I had an experience with um, a dating app that uh, probably I reckon about 10 or so years ago, which was really eye-opening for me and I was really impressed with how well they handled it. Mm. Um, It was a dating app that specialised in if you were married and needed to keep things on the down low. Mm. And um, I had had a workplace dispute with some someone and all of a sudden my email was getting bombed with unsolicited gear through this mm. app and I was like what is going on here mm. I'd never been a member never was a member mm. and anyway I sent an email to their website form they were an international company I was not expecting a thing mm. I actually got a personal phone call back from one of the team members going that is not on someone else has you know used your email account to sign you up and has used all of these fake images blah 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 mm. he's like we're blocking it all immediately and we're taking it down I'm sending you screenshots of the evidence that we've mm. shut it down blah 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 and he goes I probably shouldn't tell you this but per- this person is located at XYZ mm. so I knew exactly who it was straight away and um, you know I was able to move on with my life very quickly and that all happened in the space of about half an hour mm. of me becoming aware of the account so when it's handled well it can be absolutely brilliant and I'm, mm. I can see that's where they're probably hoping to go with this um, bit of news, with this announcement, mm. whether whether they pull it off or not, of course, we're a bunch of cynics here on Bite Into It. Let's, uh, let's see if they get there. See how they go. Um, one group who are having a bit of a crack this week as well is um, uh, Google, as they as they do tend to, um, and 
unless you've been kind of uh, floating in space, uh, you would have uh, come across um, ChatGPT, which is um, uh, doing interesting stuff in uh, AI and, uh, I guess, conversational technology. Um, Google, not ones to sit on their uh, haunches, have um, announced today uh, or in the past 24 hours that um, they have something. Um, Of course they do. Um, And... Google Bard is going to launch over the next few weeks. Um, it is apparently already in the hands of some trusted testers and partners, um, and they're just uh, putting it through its paces at the moment. But it is going to be open to uh, developers. It's going to work in a similar way to um, uh, Microsoft's equivalent uh, ChatGPT, um, which is uh, sort of out and running at the moment. Um, they're kind of ironing out the kinks. I'm not sure this is a kink that you can really iron out. Um, they're talking about how um, these AIs are trained based on existing information and it does um, suck up a lot of um, detritus and, and inaccurate information. Um, I think what's interesting, um, uh, Microsoft are trying to bend um, ChatGPT into uh, a new search feature and obviously that's um, a, a competitive space um, with services like Google. Um, they're trying to do not necessarily re- replace the search bar where you'll type in I'm looking for um, great walnuts in Essendon um, but it will give you uh, information that um, uh, is similar to what you're looking for and kind of fuse an answer so um, the example they gave here is uh, is it easier to learn the piano or guitar and um, rather than linking to a, a, a definitive article on it as you'd be used to on, on Google, it'll say, uh, it'll just um, plough through the information and say well some people say this, some people say that and you'll get a uh, kind of what you get in um, Google search results where you've kind of got the text description of what's going on. You'll get more of that kind of mm. result and then you'll have to click through and uh, and so forth. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's an exciting time in, in AI in terms of uh, I feel like we're kind of um, drunks at a party just kind of like chowing down on chips. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a, a bit wild and crazy. And um, if you kind of go looking for this, of course, everything is the answer to something that we didn't know we had a question for um, right away. So it's probably, um, yeah, on the on the steep part of the, the, the Gartner, um, Gartner um, a hype cycle. Um, and there'll probably be a crash coming in the next six months or, or what have you. But it is really exciting. Uh, have you had a chance to have a fiddle or, or kind of do you have any ideas for what you might like to do? Um, look, I haven't. I've really only skirted on the, you know, the outsides of it. Um, mm. But I think I think it's throwing up some really interesting stuff. And I definitely think that a lot of this sort of AI and chat GPT, GPT stuff has got a lot of scope to make people's lives a lot easier and really um, make... I think a lot of stuff efficient, but as as you said, it's absolute minefield central in terms of um, uh, university student essays mm. and you know all of the checks and balances that keep it straighty one eighty. Um, and mm. I did see something on Twitter to, just actually before I came into the studio um, to do the show tonight is that someone has just uh, voluntarily withdrawn from a photographic competition because they submitted and did it on purpose as a social experiment. An AI generated image didn't knew exactly what Mm. they were doing um, and just shut up, submitted it and went, oh, let's see how I go, Mm. one. And then when they were basically accepting the prize, said, well, I'm going to respectfully withdraw because this was AI and this was a big experiment to see whether... It would. This would have legs. Whether it would even be noticed, you know, what are the implications? And has turned it into a bit of a social statement. So, um, you're dead right. It's the wild west, and uh, it's going to be for a little while. So we might as well have some fun with it. 
Mm. Maybe, maybe if you're getting strange phone calls or emails, maybe ask some like very complicated questions. Just to deeply check complicated. That, that, you know, um, that scene in in Harry Potter where they're kind of pointing the ones like, "Where was I when?" Yeah. Um, so be careful out there, people. Um, what's going on with Nintendo? It's a Nintendo Day tomorrow. tomorrow. Oh, massive Nintendo Day. So um, the next Nintendo Direct is coming. So they're essentially going to live stream 40, 40 minutes of information, mostly focused on Switch games. Now, I am absolutely terrible at time zone conversions, but I think it's uh, Thursday, 9am Melbourne time. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's a great opportunity if you want to be one of the first to hear about what's going to be coming out um, over the next little while but we um the last one took place in september and that really focused on um the new zelda of the time tears of kingdom pigman 4 fire emblem engage and goldeneye 007 um so we're really really curious to see what's going to come out of the woodwork but it's going to be a really cool session um get all the gossip basically and you'll find all the details just on the main Nintendo uh, website. But um, was are there any games you're hoping they come out with or update? Are you much of a Switch hound? Uh, I played a bit. I'm stuck in a um, medieval kind of uh, conquest kind of game at the moment. I'm just – I suck at it. it. I'm just not very good <laughs> um, moving units around. But, yeah, I'm back playing um, uh, Zelda again, which is really fun. Um, I don't know. I, I like um, I like quest games. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's heaps of fun. I bought myself um, Spiritfarer for Christmas and I've just started getting into that in the last week And mm. um, because I tend to game – like late at night when I'm tucked up in bed, I find mm. the calmer the game, mm. the more likely I'm actually going to get to sleep and not stay up till dawn being an mm. idiot. So, um, you know, I'm into it. But in, in more Switch news, Nintendo Switch has officially surpassed Game Boy and PS4 in terms of lifetime sales. So um, it's it's the winner, Switch. It's out front. I personally love it sick, mm. um, you know, but, yeah. That's great. It's out there. It's absolutely out there. Um, yeah, so we were going to have a little bit of chat about some Zoom news. Zoom, that is true. Um, yeah, if uh, if you if you are a knowledge worker or um, work in education or, or, or I guess any kind of place um, that we congregate um, uh, in a you know school or office or, or kind of workplace environment, you have spent uh, a little bit of time on Zoom. Um, over the past few years, um, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, these um, these services have really uh, taken off. Um, uh, plenty of um, similar services, um, but um, Zoom's kind of got uh, a little bit out of hand. And like uh, many tech giants in in recent weeks, uh, they are having to um, cut back on staff, and they're cutting deep at Zoom. Um, around fifteen percent of staff um, are likely to be um, uh, put on mute um, uh, in the coming weeks. Um, Put on mute. I see what you did there. Yeah, I, I regret it as soon as I said it. But um, um, yeah, um, people are going to be losing their jobs. Um, around thirteen hundred uh, jobs are going to go as part of the restructure. And um, uh, CEO uh, Eric Wan said um, it's on him. Um, they probably grew um, without uh, accountability, and um, uh, I guess there was, you know, um, reasons for for taking on a lot of people. Um, it was a, a wildly popular product um, for a while, and, and, and I guess still is. Um, but yeah, they're going to have to do something about that. And, um, yeah, um, a lot of, uh, sort of enterprise software are going through uh, similar growing pains at the moment. Um, Salesforce, Microsoft, um, and a few others. Um, so yeah, Zoom shares as they do went up, uh, on the, uh, announcement here. So, oh, gee. Uh, who knows uh, capitalism. how that works. <laughs> 
Um, places where capitalism doesn't exist, uh, hopefully, um, oh, might be sending us radio signals. Out of space, man. Oh, look, I got really excited when this popped up in the news, but the big headline is basically that AI-aided alien search has detected eight very suspicious, and I'm going to put that in noink, noink, quote marks, radio signals. So, um, you know, for those of us who've, you know, seen the absolute, uh, you know, Jodie Foster classic contact knows that, um, you know, we've been looking for little creepy crawlies out in space for a very long time. And, um, you know, AI, this is one of the areas where the technology is getting better and better and better. And, of course, the tech lets us go deeper and deeper and deeper. Space is a super noisy place. There's black holes. There's just so much stuff going on. And, um, you know, it's all radio frequencies. So it's always been a real battle to suss out what's good and what's bad. But um, this AI um, gear has basically been able to isolate some really unusual patterns that they think are are really worth investigating further. And um, it's also really cool because they can use that AI to scour the data and push harder and focus in and all that kind of stuff. So this is one of those areas where what could have probably taken decades with manual human work is going to happen in, you know, seconds or minutes using really clever AI. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. But basically it's it's part of the Breakthrough Listen initiative, which is a bit of a conglomerate of a whole bunch of different, um, you know, telescopes, computers, universities and organisations and stuff. So it's one of those sort of world world first things which is going to be a really really interesting one to watch so I'm super curious to see what comes out of the woodwork I mean and obviously space is so incredibly enormous um I I personally am of the view that we would be naive to think there's not some other stuff out there going out of its way to hide from us so <laughs> hello to our listeners a long way away uh, tonight hi <laughs> triple ah uh. If you have uh, been one of those unfortunate souls who um, have been part of a, a data breach um, over the past uh, six months, and there have been a few absolute clangers uh, in Australia, um, this uh, may be uh, information um, for sore ears, but um, we can all do with, um, uh, I guess, a little bit of um, housekeeping around um, data protection and, and looking after our um, uh, information online and, and, and elsewhere. Um, it was recently uh, a Data Protection Day uh, or Data Privacy Day uh, around the world. Uh, it's held every year on January 28th. So we thought we need to get ourselves someone who, who knows this well um, to come in and have a chat with us. And John Payne is a Senior Specialist Advisor in Privacy and Data Protection at Deloitte and is on the board at Electronic Frontiers Australia who do great work in this space. Um, so we thought, let's get John in. And sure enough, here he is. Um, thanks for coming in, John. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, what do we do well in Australia in terms of privacy and, and data protection and, and where are we kind of letting ourselves down, do you think? Um, well, recently we've made um, a good start in 2018 by introducing uh, data breach notification law. Um, it should have happened a long time ago. Um, secondly, we've given the Privacy Commissioner a fantastic Christmas present this last Christmas by giving the Federal Commissioner increased powers. But more importantly, um, because of the two more uh, significant data breaches that occurred late last year, um, Optus and uh, uh, Medibank, um, the government has changed the law to increase fines uh, from $2.5 million to potentially $50 million uh, under the Privacy Act to ensure... Um, organisations take privacy 
data security and cyber security seriously. Um, there was a time prior to, to 2018 where data breaches were typically um, or often kept quiet, uh, swept under the rug, no public discourse, no transparency, no accountability. But you know, luckily that's changed now. So this uh, data protection day just gone, should we be feeling relaxed and comfortable about our, our online data or um, are there things that we should be really concerned about? Yeah. Data protection day has been around since 2007 and it's recognised uh, by about, uh, I think, 40-odd European countries, the US, Canada, Nigeria and Israel from memory. Um, it's principally a day to um, reach out to the public uh, from uh, privacy regulators for businesses to be more transparent and open about their privacy practices, but also to create awareness um, about privacy, individuals' privacy rights in the community, and remembering, and not many people recognise this, but privacy law is human rights law. And where would uh, where would the average punter sort of come across this in their day-to-day lives? What sort of places are contested and, and you wouldn't think about it or, or places where we don't actually have much protection? Yeah, um, things that we see nowadays have you know, certainly changed a lot since um, you know, 2004 with Web 2.0, the introduction of social media in 2007, uh, Insta, Snapchat, TikTok... Um, there are huge amounts of personal data being circulated. Um, often personal data is taken from us through surveillance mechanisms um, and through technology that surveils us constantly no matter where we go. And this, this stems from a lack of regulation, particularly, say, in the US, where um, they have a privacy law that was drafted in 1974 if you cast your memories back to those time, I think they had beta V8, beta video recorders. Um, technology has moved on a little bit since then, um, and the reason why they haven't got any law in the US um, is principally because of the effects of specialist interest groups, lobbyists, big techs, um, and an unwillingness to give these rights to individuals. Um, and this... You see with, uh, for example, the, the terms and conditions that you're forced to accept when you might download an app from Google Play or from Apple. Um, essentially, you could be making a Faustian bargain in those TCCs. You wouldn't know because 99.9% of people don't read it. They simply tick yes. And if they say they read it, most times they're lying. Um, and consent in those documents is, is fictitious. Um, essentially it lets them do anything they want and you agree to it and that's a legal fiction and what are what are some of the things that we should be doing to to kind of um, have good hygiene in this space um, um, things that we control are certainly being selective about the apps that we download onto our mobile devices um, looking at the types of permissions that they're asking for um, does it make sense for particular apps that don't uh, have any um, photographic function uh, or need access to emails require such access? The answer is no. Um, if you're lucky enough to have an Apple phone with iOS 14, uh, which is you know simply the um, 
the creation of their walled garden. They have a feature in the app that turns off, um, you know, online tracking uh, for third-party uh, organisations. And, and um, there was um, quite a huge kerfuffle when Apple rolled this out, especially from Facebook. It was going to impact their business significantly. Um, one particular case that I read about was that after... Um, Apple had rolled out iOS 14 with the privacy-friendly features. Um, a baker in a particular state, revenue had dropped from $47,000 a month to $12,000 a month because of the impact on the ads that were coming through their Facebook account. Wow. Um, and what's uh, I, I've got some um, stuff that um, you'd sent through about things like loyalty cards or kind of sure. just kind of keeping up with yeah. memberships. Yeah. I, I'd hate to think about how many things I'm a member do, for. Do, do or... you need to have a loyalty card? Do you need to go to that retailer to spend twenty thousand dollars in order to get a twenty dollar toaster? Um, so some loyalty cards offer some benefits to consumers, and particularly individuals that have, say, low income. So it, it does make a difference in today's environment, especially to shave some money off the bowels price of petrol or to shave some money off groceries, but um, it comes at a cost. Um, need to be careful about um, the apps that you're downloading and the apps that your children are downloading. Um, there's no regulation that deals with how the personal data of minors is protected um, currently. Um, and it's certainly a, a concern from um, sociological and mental and emotional health issues about the amount of time and engagement children have on mobile devices with social media apps. Hmm. Um, so what have been some of the initiatives around uh, Data Privacy Day or Data Protection Day? What, what would have been some of the things that have been effective or things that you'd like to see more of, do you think? Um, certainly some organisations would have had internal programs to create awareness in their business, mm. and those would have been you know, private sector and public sector agencies uh, at a state level or federal level um, that uh, do have mature privacy programs, trying to create that awareness in their business, mm. trying to create awareness for their customers... Um, things such as um, using a a password manager application, uh, so you don't have to create um, different passwords for every application that you use, and more often than not, most people just use one or two common passwords to access all their applications, which if there was a data breach of a particular business um, and your data was compromised and your credentials were compromised, it's quite possible other um, data assets of yourself or other facilities you use may further be compromised, so it's a high risk. Mm. I'm really hating on how much stuff my browser knows about me at the moment. Like, I'll just be bouncing around and the browser's like, yeah, let's log you in here, let's buy this, let's do that. I'm like, how do you... I don't remember giving you permission for that. There there are privacy-friendly alternatives, Mm. such as DuckDuckGo, which doesn't do the stalking of you on the internet or the uh, surveilling of you as you go from site to site or the sharing with third-party advertisers so they can on-sell your data to other organisations who wish to market to you. Um, that's always an option. 
Um, using your private function in browser mm. helps to a certain extent. Getting rid of your cookies, being careful about the types of cookies you accept. Oh, well, um, that's, yeah, that's an area I'm actually interested in exploring um, a little bit more for our audience because particularly with all the stuff that, um, you know, changed over in the UK and we're now right. seeing cookie pop-ups on Goram everything, um, do, you, do you think people are just blindly going, yeah, 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 I've got stuff to do, accept yeah. all the things and move on? What sort of patterns are you seeing with that? Frequently, the cookies have been set to the least intrusive level, so Mm -hmm. those that are absolutely necessary to facilitate the activity, those that are necessary to facilitate a person logging on again um, to the same site, um, and those for technical purposes um, are often defaulted to yes, whereas the ones that are for tracking, for marketing, um, are turned off. Um, or should be turned off, I should say. Um, but it's not often always the case. So it does pay to take a look at, at the settings that have been applied to the particular website that you're visiting. Yeah, for sure. So people at home, tune in and check in on your cookies now and then next time you get a pop-up. Uh, if people are curious about this, uh, is there anything that uh, AFA is doing where they could sort of learn a little bit more about it or if they're concerned about their privacy or, or even at their workplace as well? Sure. Um, I'm a board member of uh, Electronic Frontiers Australia. We're a, um, an NGO civil society group staffed by volunteers and supported by our, our donors and members. Um, and what we try to do is is make representations to uh, to government uh, or business uh, or publish to the media uh, issues in the public interest that relate to privacy, digital rights, um, surveillance copyright, um, AI and so forth. Um, We're not the only organisation that does that. We've been around since 1994, so preceding Web 2.0, so around about Web 1.0. There's also um, other fantastic organisations such as the Australian Privacy Foundation. Again, all volunteers that do a marvellous job of promoting privacy rights in Australia and organisations like Digital Rights Watch and, and Choice um, people can get information from those sites. Um, you can also get information from your local, state or territory privacy commissioner, so from the Office of the Victorian Information Commissioner or federally from the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner. Um, has a range of consumer resources um, which are, are good to understand what your rights are. Interesting. Uh, We have been talking with John Payne, who is um, on the board at uh, Electronic Frontiers Australia, and we've been talking about um, uh, basically International uh, Privacy Day and Data Protection Day. Um, We might have to uh, keep you in our Rolodex, and uh, if there are a lot more breaches this year as there were last year, we might have to get you back in for some discipline and some stern words. (laughs) So uh, thank you very much for coming by. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Bite Into It. It is 7.35 uh, with Ro and Warren. Um, Ro, have you got a track for us? I do, but just before we jump to a track, um, for our listeners who want to check out more, you can go to privacy.org.au for the Australian Privacy Foundation and for Electronic Frontiers Australia, we're at efa.org.au. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.
You're listening to Warren and Roe on Bite Into It on that iconic 3RRR. So we've been really traversing everything from alien space signals to um, privacy and we're now diving into... Well, frankly, money, money and games. Um, we are joined uh, for the second half of the show by Ron Curry, the CEO of the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association. And you've probably heard on the news once or twice this week um, that there's been a ton of money thrown back into the arts. Um, so we're here to get the skinny on what's happening on the games front. Welcome to the show, Ron. Yeah, thanks, Ron. All righty. Um, I'm curious to know, um, why, why did we lose this fund? Um, I, I would imagine we had something like this in the past and it's now back uh, under the, um, the new federal government. Um, what, what was going on before the, the current iteration of the um, Interactive Games Fund? Yeah, back in 2017, the Labor government, who was in power then, introduced the Australian Interactive Games Fund. Um, but it was too long after that that there was an election 2014, and we had a new government, a Liberal government, and pretty much um, straight away after coming into power, they cancelled the fund. There was no consultation. Uh, we pretty much heard about it through a news report rather than any other, you know, dialogue with the government. And we've been talking to the previous government and now the, the current government since 2014 about the return of the Games Fund. So we're completely excited um, when we had the news last week from the minister that he's brought it back. And it's a, a slight increase on um, sort of what you're expecting as well or, or, or what had been mooted. I think an extra $12 million, um, to go into um, small to medium independent game studios uh, through Green Australia, if I'm correct? Yeah, that's right. So it's $12 million over four years, mm. uh, which is great, which is sort of, kind of on part of what we used to have. But that's on the back of the government also introducing what they call the Games Expansion Pack um, last year after they came into power, which they allocated $6 million uh, to games. And um, thankfully, what we've actually seen is about $7.4 million um, put towards games funding. So when you add those two together, it's a great boost for the industry. And on top of that, the government introduced the Digital Games Tax Offset, which admittedly was... um, was first introduced by the Liberal Party in the last government, uh, and the current government had made sure that they brought forward legislation for it. Nice. And what's, um, what kind of activities or, or what kind of support uh, will this fund uh, entail? Yeah, well, we haven't seen the whole details of it yet, so there's, there's still the background hasn't been announced by the government. But the conversations we're having, what we're feeling is it's going to secure, uh, like, seed funding to get projects started for small um, upcoming independent game developers. And what that allows them to do when they have that backing is to to go out and find further financing investment, so for private investors, for example. They hire the talent they need in Australia. They create games, take the games to market, and all of a sudden we've got this revenue coming in. So it's great for employment and it's great for export. And it's great for culture because what we have is Australians making games and those games are getting exported to the world. Mm. And what what is the uh, Australian games industry um, really strong at, do you feel? Like, uh, whether it's kind of supporting more of the same or kind of branching out into areas that we could do with some um, extra money in? What are we good at? What can we do more of, do you think? Look, we're good at lots of things. You know, we're great at creating really interesting games. And you only have to look at um, a few of the games that have come out from Australia over the last couple of years, you know, whether it's unpacking, moving out, Untitled Goose Game, those sort of independent games have just taken the world by storm. 
um, all made in Australia, small teams, uh, and teams that are able to create product because they're not, I guess, chained down by a large corporation. Um, they can really explore that creative side of their businesses. And that's only three games I mentioned. There's, there's many, many more covering so many genres in Australia. Uh, but, you know, it's incredible talent, and we know if we can invest in talent, we can really be world-leading. Mm. And which, which parts of the sector are, are kind of crying out for money, do you think? Where, where are we kind of like rubbing two 50-cent pieces together at the moment? It's right across the ecosystem. So if I can just compare us. I guess, to Canada. Now, Australia generates a couple of hundred million dollars worth of revenue a year from, from Australian-made games. Um, and we have, you know, a couple of thousand game developers. If we flip over to Canada, a country that's almost the same as us, there's 27,000 game developers, and they're contributing about $5 billion to GDP. Wow. So that's the gap. That's what we're trying to fill by saying, if we can make Australia competitive with the rest of the world, and that's right across the ecosystem. That's from, you know, having studios like uh, Ubisoft or Activision, those huge um, studios here, or supporting those two or three people studios that are starting that are creating this really interesting indie product. Um, it's by supporting that whole ecosystem that we can see Australia really growing and competing on that global stage. Yeah, definitely. And I got quite curious about when we've had such a lack of funding for so long, that obviously has a really big impact on the emerging developers and the other creatives that, you know, normally work in games, whether it's, you know, composition or, you know, design and all of those mm -hmm. kind of things. And um, it's quite likely that we've got a real talent gap now because they haven't been nurtured. And I guess I wanted to get a bit of a feel from of your opinion on how this fund might potentially be able to support emerging people or even those people that have parked their games or their games adjacent careers because there's been no money, because there's been, you know, a pandemic. Where do you reckon we're going to peel that next generation from or support them along the path? Yeah, there's a couple of ways we're going to support the, that. First off, you're right. There's a lot of people who have parked their, um, their I guess, their careers, design and game design too hard and the funding is difficult. When you go to a bank or a, or a VC and you talk about your game and getting it funded, um, they look at you and say, well, who else is supporting you? Where's the confidence in your industry? And it doesn't look like there is a lot. Once the government get behind it, it's a great signal to the other financiers think this is a great idea. They get behind it. Um, therefore, why shouldn't we? And then when you see people starting to then set up their businesses, they have the confidence, they can get the financing, they can stop doing it part-time or after work or on the weekends, they can stop with the bank of mum and dad and create businesses. And that's the really exciting thing about the fund. For sure. Um, I did have a few questions around, you know, how the fund is going to be ad administered on a really, really practical level. Um, is it going to be um, very sort of grants driven? You know, d do the old 30 to 50 page document and have a working concept and you've got to be a studio with X amount of years? Or is it going to be a little bit simpler to administer and a bit more accessible? We haven't seen any details from Screen Australia yet. Sure. Um, so I don't know. But what I can say, though, is Screen Australia are employing people who understand games. They're out there um, advertising at the moment to add to that team of um, assessors who understand games. The current fund they're looking after, the games expansion pack, 
covers all sorts of games at all sorts of levels. And they make it as simple as they can for people to apply for funding. So I'm taking that as a great... That's what we'll see moving forward. Of course, if it's a bit more money, there's a bit more paperwork. That's, that's a given. But um, from what we've seen so far from Screen Australia, they're making it as frictionless as they can for people to get the funding. And we, we suspect that's how it's going to go. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, I mean, when it when it all comes down to it, you know, the the less paperwork, the better. But I guess that's just one of those <laughs> unnecessary evils. <laughs> yeah, when the government's giving you money, you know, you've you, got to fill out a bit of paperwork. You've got to cop it a little bit, sweet. Yeah, because there was obviously um, the digital games uh, tax offset that's um, going to go through Parliament, which will be offering gaming companies about a thirty percent refundable tax offset up to you know five hundred thousand to support their projects. But of course, if you're behind on your business tax returns or don't have the right structures, you're not even going to be apply able to apply. So, you know, there's just and so and much that's involved. That's the great thing about. <laughs> The great thing about this fund is, like I said, the DGTO, the minimum threshold is you have to spend $500 million on the game. Um, so clearly that left a big gap under that. Mm. Um, and this fund is where that comes in mm. um, and, and captures the people who clearly aren't going to spend half a million dollars creating a game. So do you have any advice or, I guess, uh, strong hints, um, if you can't give advice to, to small studios or, or games creators out there right now, what, what should they be thinking about if they've been reluctant to kind of, you know, put a bit of money in themselves or, or get that project going? What, what should they be starting to think about um, in the next six months? Yeah, I'd be watching very carefully what Screen Australia are doing, both with the this new fund and also with the game expansion pack, and start talking Start having the conversations with Screen Australia. But just as importantly, what we're seeing in every state at the moment, each state, because of the buoyancy that the government, the federal government's created, they're also creating their own funds within the states. So Victoria have always been very, very generous with how they support the game development industry, um, probably more so than any other state traditionally. Go and speak to the screen agencies in your state. In Victoria, to be go and talk to Creative Victoria talk to Vic Screen, and just have that chat. They're open for having a coffee, having some dialogue, um, and just talking about the business to people. Uh, and if people want to sort of find out any more um, details about where this money is going, where, where, where can they check it out? Or is there stuff that IGEA is, is kind of publishing or keeping people up to date with? Yep, well, we, we are always keeping people up to date. As soon as we find out, find out the information, it's on our website, which is IGEA.net. Um, we're continually updating our members. Uh, screen Australia are great at updating their website, as are the state screen agencies. Um, so any of those places are, are great first sources of information. Amazing. We'll, uh, we'll tweet some of those links out as well. Um, we've been speaking with Ron Curry, who's the CEO of IGEA, on the resurgence of the Australian Interactive Games Fund. Um, Ron, thanks for making time. Uh, thanks, Rainer. You're listening to the precious last four minutes of Bite Into It uh, with Ro and Warren. Um, just a few little bits of weird stuff and events um, we thought you might like to hear about. Um, since we have been talking a bit about AI on the show tonight, um, you might be pleased to hear that AI has written some episodes of Seinfeld, um, the show about nothing, um, probably pretty easy to um, replicate uh, with something that is good about talking about nothing. So... Um, Nothing Forever is an endless AI-generated version of the show. It's been streaming on Twitch um, 
since mid-December. It was down this morning when I had a look at it, but it might be back up again. Uh, tells the story in uh, quotation marks of four characters, Larry, Fred, Yvonne, and Kakla, um, who look kind of like what would happen if Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer were sucked into a, a 1990s computer game. Um, they talk about, uh, I don't know, big salads, soup Nazis, um, <laughs> quality of coffee, Monopoly games, that kind of thing. And the dialogue actually comes from uh, OpenAI's uh, chat, uh, or GPT-3, uh, a text generator closely related to uh, chat GPT. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Um, it has got a cool kind of 8-bit um, uh, look to it. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this stuff is uh, endlessly fun and uh, we should be out there enjoying it. Absolutely. Like, it's one of my favourite hobbies to criticise a lot of um, AI tech, but Jeepers, we've got to remember to have some fun with it. And speaking of having fun, um, the Girls in Tech Australia Conference for 2023, early tickets have just opened up. Definitely worth a look. It's on the 10th of May at South Wharf in Docklands. Um, they are doing virtual attendance still, tickets from 80 bucks and in person from 300 via Eventbrite, um, and it's a full-day program. All about... Um, women tech careers. Um, as we know, it's a pretty biased industry on a lot of fronts. Um, we need more female bums on seats and a, a lot of the challenge is not just getting them there but keeping them there. So that's what it's there for, networking, finding potential mentors, um, getting good advice and all the good things. And uh, if you're finding uh, guys jerks, you can always nick off to space. Um, Stone and Chalk, uh, local kind of um, uh, incubator and accelerator, um, is having its uh, number six um, space community town hall, um, Stone and Chalk and uh, Sasic, which is the South Australian something, something, something space. Um, uh, that is coming up um, the day after Valentine's Day. Um, so if you want to get down to uh, Stone and Chalk, they're in the city at a new location. They were down in uh, Docklands for a while. Um, but um, we'll put this link up um, and you can uh, go down and check it out uh, if you want to get out into space. South Australian Space Industry Centre. Um, so, yes, they're, they're doing good stuff over there. Um, thank you very much to our guests uh, on the show tonight. Um, thank you to uh, John from EFA and Ron from IGEA. Um, thank you very much to Ro, um, who made haste to get in here and, and take part tonight. Thank you, Warren. <laughs> um, also to our talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, and podcaster, uh, Carrie Smythe. Uh, thank you, Carrie. Um, we've been bought into it, and we'll be back next Wednesday with some different humans. Um, stick around now for Anthony Crew and the International Pop Underground. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.